So it's the next morning, and we know what he just came off of. So he preached in the synagogue. He cast out an unclean spirit. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. After sundown, we have the feeling that the whole town was coming out, and he healed many. He cast out many demons, unclean spirits. And again, as we look at that day, as already mentioned, now he gets to rest, right? Time to sleep in. He earned that extra hour or two. He earned the snooze button that morning. But rather, this is what we find our Savior, Jesus, doing. Rising early in the morning, certainly before the sun has risen because it was still dark, he finds a space and a place of solitude and he communes with his Father in prayer. And I think we can, maybe with with our imaginations, that we can read into the text that probably Simon and the others, as they began to wake up, they look over and see the place where Jesus was sleeping was, was empty. And as that's happening, crowds are beginning to form around the house once again, because I'm sure it was no, um, the, the news of what happened continued to spread of all of his healing. More healing, more spiritual restoration was needed. And so they frantically got up and they began to look for him, to search for him. And I think ingrained in this text is that the disciples, and again, we don't want to fault them. But I think what we see is the disciples were assuming that Jesus' main agenda was to continue this authoritative healing ministry. And so they really think of nothing when they find him of interrupting his time with his father because in their minds there's more important things to do Jesus there are people lining up at the door but then as we look at Christ we have no indication from the text that he treated them with impatience with shortness with irritation as Oftentimes, I know with my young children, I can respond that way when I have my agenda and they are pulling on the leg and pulling on the shirt and saying, no, daddy, you've got to see this. You've got to come see what I built in my room. And no, I have more important things to do. And my reaction is not like Christ. We don't see impatience or shortness. Even though what he was doing, communing with his father, was vital. But rather, he listens to them, allows them to speak, doesn't interrupt them, doesn't silence them by snapping at them. And then he redirects their priorities gently. He didn't panic. It wasn't, oh no, I'm missing these healing opportunities. I I lost track of time. I need to get back to the house. But he did turn to them and said, let's go. But it wasn't, let's go back to the house, let's go back to the city and heal those that are waiting for me. But let's go back to the other towns and do what I was called to do. Remember Mark 1.1, 1, 1, this is the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. So he said, let's go do what I was called to do. Let's go preach the gospel. And so after an exhausting day, an early morning time of communion with his father, What seems like a rude and untimely interruption by the disciples, Jesus gathers them back together, and then he goes throughout the whole region. We need to understand that the physical needs of this region, and really the whole world, would in one sense be unending. 
There's always someone that needs healing. There would always be an unclean spirit that needed to be cast out. But Jesus knew the needful thing, the importance of communion with his Father, and the utmost importance of following the mission that he was called to do by his Father to proclaim the gospel. And ultimately, as Jesus will say later in Mark, that I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many to embody truly the good news of the gospel. So he continues to do what we've already seen described in these previous passages. He goes to the public teaching center, the synagogues of these towns. He teaches authoritatively. He heals. He restores. He casts out unclean spirits. He shows his authority through his teaching. He shows his authority through his healing and his casting out of the unclean spirits. We're all revealing that other part of Mark's thesis, the Son of God, revealing his authority as the Son of God. Which leaves us with the question, what does the Holy Spirit intend for us to learn? And I'm going to suggest a few things. I trust that your time may be around the table or later um, on in the week as you come back to this passage. The Holy Spirit may reveal other things to you as well. First, it was already mentioned, we must learn by looking at Jesus' example of prioritizing. Despite physical and I'm sure mental, spiritual exhaustion as experienced through his human nature, Jesus knew where strength came from, where true refreshment came from. He rose early before the sun in order to spend some interrupted time of communion with his father. And again, important, and it's tying right into our Sunday morning study as well. How did he do that? You know, was it to get away and just enjoy some silence and let, let me just get some time to declutter my mind? Did he go so that he could experience the beauty of a sunset and just marvel at nature? Not bad things. But no, he went in order to communicate with God his Father through prayer. He knew that day was going to bring more busyness, as all of ours do, more demands on his time, more teaching, more opportunities to reveal his authority. So he went away before all of that started and prayed. There were certainly urgent needs that he knew were coming. He certainly knew that he had tasks to accomplish that day. But he didn't allow the mere presence of tasks on his list or urgently displayed by others coming to him and saying, there's a need, you have to come meet it. He didn't allow those things to set his agenda. Or rather, communion with his father in prayer is how his priorities were arranged. That is how he determined what was urgent and what could wait. He came to do his father's will. His time of communion with his father is what continued to establish that for him and spur him on in his mission. So we learn from his prioritizing example. But I think we also need to learn from that human nature that Jesus is displaying. He was truly man and truly God. And in his humanness, he knew that he needed prayer in time with his father prior to his public preaching and teaching and healing ministry. And this thought, one of many thoughts that struck me this week as I was studying this, is how 
arrogant it is for us to get up and go on our tasks and say, I'm going to go and do everything that's on my list to do without prayer. The creator and sustainer of the universe and human flesh knew he needed time with his father in prayer. And of all people, we need that as well. Practically, and I'm speaking to myself here, take it for what it's worth for yourself. I act as if I need to check my Twitter feed or my Facebook page, my email, the weather, a sports app, in order to set the agenda for my day. And unfortunately, it often does that. It sets my agenda. It sets my priorities. Things that weren't urgent when I was sleeping now in an email become urgent and they take over my mind space and, my, and take zap spiritual energy and take me away from time with my father. How different, think it through this, how different might your days be? How different would your priorities for the day be? How different might our spirit toward others be? If our days began with a complete and utter dependence on God through prayer. If we communed with God and asked him to set our agenda. How oftentimes, again, when, when our task list and our iPhone reminders and our emails set our agenda, what happens when somebody comes and interrupts that? <laughs> Do we praise God that we now have an opportunity to share Christ with somebody or to encourage a brother or sister in Christ and help them? Rather, it usually produces irritation because our agenda was set by our task list and not by our Father. So we have to learn from Jesus' human nature the need of prayer and prioritizing. Secondly, in, in a negative sense, so those are the things we learn from Christ. In a bit of a negative sense, we do learn something from Simon and his disciples. Their agenda for the day was set by the urgency of everyone coming to the door. They were prioritizing not Christ's communion with his Father and the, the will of God that, that he came to fulfill, but rather they were being prioritized by the public ministry of Jesus, his, his healing ministry. They were caught up in the buzz and the activity surrounding Christ. And so when the needs literally came knocking on the door, these physical needs, they had to find him. I don't know where he is. We have to find him because this is what he came to do. He's going to heal everybody. And when they found him, it's as if they said, where have you been? Why are you way up here? Don't you know that there's people down there that need your healing? And again, that, that reflects more on us. That reflects more on us than what we see in Christ, oftentimes. We wake up with the urgent needs hitting us and knocking on our door, our emails and our projects and our family needs and phone calls that can't wait. And before we know it, the day is almost done and we spent little to no time with communion with our God. And so we can learn, on a negative sense, we can learn from the priority setting of the disciples. But as I mentioned earlier, this same Jesus who responded to them with gentleness and kindness is the same Jesus that is our Savior. We can assume that Jesus gently teaches them of his priorities, priorities that they were set through his relationship with his father, 
We can assume that the way Jesus taught us how to pray, as we're looking at in the Sunday morning service, is the way that Jesus was ordering his prayer this morning, reverencing his Father, rejoicing in that relationship, asking for the rule and reign of God's kingdom in heaven to be done on earth. And how did that set Jesus' priority? How does the kingdom of God break through into a dark world? It's through the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And so that is how we can even see in that model prayer how that helps set Jesus' earthly ministry agenda. And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't respond to what they saw as urgent needs. He didn't respond, let's go back to the house, Simon. We have to heal more people. But he said, no, let's, let's move on. Let's go to the other towns. Other towns need to hear the gospel, need to see my authority displayed. They need healing. They need restoration. I came to preach. Let's move on. So let's learn here that even though, as I did this week, you start maybe to feel some guilt about our lack of communion with God, our, our misplaced priorities, our, our tendency to be driven by necessary but not first priority needs. And if it's true conviction of the Holy Spirit, we listen, we confess, but we know the faithfulness of our God to forgive. We know the same Jesus on display here is the same Jesus that is our Savior. He will deal with that guilt gently he doesn't put out the wick that's barely burning. He doesn't break the bruised reed, but gladly forgives and gently set our minds on the priorities of our Father. And ultimately, we need to continue to remember that we're not Jesus. We're not going to solve everybody's issues. Some phone calls may not get returned today. Some texts may not get responded to today. Some emails may not get written. Some seemingly urgent need may not get met by us that day. Now, I, I want to be careful. We're not gonna, we don't want to fall into a ditch of laziness. <laughs> that we just sit back and let go and let God. We certainly don't see that in Christ's ministry and in his mission. There are things that we need to do. There are responsibilities that have been given to us to do. But if we prioritize communion with God ahead of those things, we may get to the end of the day and realize, wow, we had a full day. My heart enjoyed a prioritized time of communion with God. What I read in the Word and my day was actually filled with prayer. Yeah, there may be a set-aside time, a specific prayer, but we're supposed to be constantly in communion with God. And we can rest our heads in the pillows knowing that Jesus is the Savior, not us. We can do only so much. So prioritize communion with God. Use that as the grace and the strength to accomplish the task that he's called you to do. So we need to remember that busyness is not necessarily a sign of godliness, nor is laziness. In fact, sometimes busyness may be a sign that we're trying to be God. Was it Pastor Jonathan when you came and candidated? You, you talked, about, I think, in Philippians and peace of, you know, one of the one of the things that causes us the greatest turmoil is that when we try to do God's job, and we can't. So commune with God, rest in the finished work of Christ as the basis for our privilege to commune with Him. 
And then the grace that he will give us, that he's promised, will give us the energy and the effort to do all of our tasks that he's given us to the glory of God. To love your family, to do work excellently with the glory of God on the forefront of our mind, with the skill and strength he's given you. So allow all of the tasks that are on your list to be accomplished through the overflow of your time of communion with God. I think we corporately should ask the question too. It's very individual. And that's really the focus of the passage. But as a, corporately, how are we doing church-wide with aligning our priorities with God's? I think the best, the, 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 the best sign of that, the best test for that, is how are we doing in our corporate prayer? If Jesus' priorities were aligned, if you strengthened to do God's will through prayer and communion with him, how are we doing not only individually, but how are we doing with corporate prayer as a body of Christ? should be reflected in our corporate prayer not necessarily in our busyness so we talk a lot around here as I just mentioned about the community aspect of the Christian walk and we're going to continue to do so unapologetically the Christian walk is one that's accomplished in community example after example of New Testament believers coming to know Christ being baptized and being added to the church the fact that so much of our New Testament, our, our letters written to churches and letters written to pastors, allow us to infer that there's the necessity of the church as a community of Christ made up of converted, baptized believers committed to Christ and committed to one another. We're not going to back away from the community aspect of the Christian life. But sometimes we neglect the aspect of Christianity that Jesus exemplifies for us here. Christianity is not just Jesus and me, but it's not less. In fact, church community can unfortunately give us a platform for rank hypocrisy. It gives us an opportunity for us to put our face, our, our good godly face on one, two, three times a week. So allow this quote, I'm going to close with this from Jonathan Edwards. He wrote a book entitled Religious Affections. Let me read this and, and allow this to challenge us in our commitment to the community of the church, but not without neglecting our personal relationship with our God. Let me read this and we'll close. It is the nature of true grace that however it loves Christian society in its place, and use the word the church there. Yet in a peculiar manner it delights, this is the human heart, in retirement, a secret converse with God. So that if persons appear greatly engaged in social religion, they're busy Christians, they're always here when the doors are open. And but little in the religion of the closet. And if others are often highly affected when with others, but little moved when they have none but God and Christ to converse with, it looks very darkly upon their religion.
And so it's not a both and, it's not individual community, it's individual and community. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can call you that. We thank you that you have the authority and the sovereignty to answer our prayers. We thank you that you are completely separate from any other father in our life. Thank you for the example of Jesus Christ, your son. Father, may we learn from his example. May our priorities be set through our time with you. Not in other things that would bombard us as we wake up each day. Father, may we learn from the example of the disciples whose urgency was determined and priority was determined by needs that were right in front of their faces without spending time in communion with God. And we thank you for the gentleness of our Savior, our servant. We spent time with you who, when interrupted, was not harsh but gentle. And who, throughout his earthly ministry, continually redirected these disciples, corrected them when necessary, encouraged them. And Father, we thank you that that is the way you and your son deal with us. So Father, may we learn from the example of, of your son here. May, may our prayer lives, may our time of communion with you be continually transformed, increasing. Um, and Father, may we see a church family of individual communers with God so that when we come together, we are just enjoying the overflow of a vibrant relationship with our God. And that will completely transform our, our mission in, in this community. It will transform the spirit of our gatherings. It will spur us on to the necessity of corporate prayer to set the agenda of your mission for this church. So, Father, may you use your word tonight to change us and to cause us to see where we fall short. May it chase us to Jesus for complete restoration and forgiveness. And may through that you give us the grace and the strength to go about the task that you have laid out for us. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.